say this uh, before. My name is uh, Greg, and this is Pastor Ben. He's our lead pastor. I made a joke about you last week that you were brand new, and a couple people didn't think it was very funny. So No, I, I heard that. Apologies. That's That's no, no problem. I thought no it was problem. hilarious. But anyhow, uh, we wanted to share with you today in week five of this Build Life uh, message series because it's a really special few weeks that we're in the middle of here in the life of our church. We've been a mobile church now for right at seven years, I guess, Right at seven, a little bit right over seven, seven. Yeah, a little bit over seven, seven years, mm-hmm. and uh, it feels like seventy to me. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it feels like two. But anyhow, it's been a, it's been a good ride. But we're in the middle of something. It's kind of a campaign, and it's a twofold campaign. The biggest part of it is we're on a campaign with this entire congregation. If you're a regular here, you know this. To really let God begin to work on our lives, we're all doing. At least most of us are doing a small group spiritual endeavor where we're all plugging into crazy love small groups, and we're asking God, what do you want from us individually and personally? We're asking God just to really build our lives in the way and the manner that he'd have our lives look and be. And the second part of this thing that we're calling the Build Lives campaign is a physical building that we're working towards. And last week we shared with you some details around that, a lot of really nice pictures, and it was really just an exciting Sunday as we began to really spell out with some detail and with some visuals what God's been doing in our lives, really for what has been almost a lifetime. Ben yeah. and I are brothers, if you didn't know, and like I said last week, I am the much better looking one. I think that goes without saying. Ben is also a lot older. What are you, 61? Yeah, yeah, I'm 61. Six, we don't say our ages, but I obviously got the height as well, and so... <laughs> We've been doing church together for a really long time. Used to be we didn't have an option because we got spanked if we didn't go. And uh, now it's just a passion of ours. And for a long time now, God has been working in both of our lives, uh, creating in us a passion and a vision for this greater Cincinnati area. And we've just been asking God now for several decades, God, use us however you would to carry out your purposes in this community. And so uh, we've been traveling along that path. I thought it'd be funny if I just, maybe not funny, but I just thought I'd share one more little story about you. Uh, I shared one last week about how when we were growing up, we would play church a lot, and Ben always got to be the preacher, and I always got to be the sinner who got like delivered from all kinds of ailments, and I got healed a whole lot and all that sort of stuff. And I, yeah, you, I was delivered I, from drug abuse like every, like four times a week. If it was I terrific. recall, you were blind, you were deaf. I got my vision you, back he a, got, a few times. walk. I, yeah, I, one time I, I, I amazing prayers of faith. You really me. did. Yeah. You really did. <laughs> what he didn't tell you, though, is we grew up uh, in a Pentecostal church. And so anyone know what Anyone familiar with, like, the Pentecostal movement or you've been to a Pentecostal church? Yeah. yeah. You know what's funny about this? With is the you, Pentecostals you ask, are all like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's finally that yeah, day. We're bringing but, it. Well, they raise their hands. They're like, finally, we can raise <laughs> our hands in church. And all the Presbyterians <laughs> are, like, <laughs> looking at their watches, wondering if there's a chance to sneak out. Yeah. We'll see you if you leave. <laughs> we can see everything up here. We know what every one of you is doing. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, so we used to play church a lot. And one of the things that you didn't tell everyone is that uh, we grew up Pentecostal, and um, I used to also get baptized in the Holy Ghost every single Sunday, and so, or every single every single time we played church, and so Ben would lay hands on me, and usually I would either, you know, fall out in the spirit or dance around or something like that. But I just wanted to share that story because I think after having been um, delivered in that way now probably six or seven hundred times. <laughs> 
that even though you're the lead pastor and you're the preacher, I feel like maybe I'm more spiritual. I have a little bit more God I, I, I in me you might. than I think maybe you might. Pastor Ben has. And I'm so. really surprised you told that story. That's funny. Yeah, go ahead. I'll, I'll joking aside, um, Greg talked about how that we get to do this together. Let, let me tell you something that we talked about when we first started this church. Our, our dream, honestly, um, wasn't to start a church just to have another church. There are a lot of great churches in this area, honestly. We were both a part of one. Greg was a part of one. I was a part of another. Our dream was a little bit more nuanced than that. We wanted to start a church and then do church together with the same people for a long time. We wanted relationships. We wanted people to get to know each other, speak into each other's lives, um, speak words of encouragement and truth and sometimes correction and hope. And so for us, like being brothers, it's a big part of the vision to do it together, if that makes sense. But it's not just about us. It was about, honestly, many of you that we've gotten to know. And you have become, as the Bible talks about, our brothers and sisters, our extended family of God. And it means the world to us to be right now, seven years in, standing on the brink of really what we think is going to be our best, our best years to be able to do that with the people we love, people who know us, who have gotten to know my kids, I've gotten to know yours, and we serve together. And as large as the church has gotten, there still is this very much a family feel to it. And that's a big deal to us. I'm very excited today because we're gonna drill down into some details about how we're gonna get from A to Z into our new facility. But more than that, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture that for me, honestly, has just rocked my socks this week. It has blown me away as I looked at this story of Joshua in the Bible, kind of continuing where we've been. And I think that beyond whatever it might speak to our issues about the building, I think it can speak to your life. I, I, at least let me say it this way. It's spoken to mine, and I, I think you're absolutely going to love it. Yeah, so if you brought your Bible today, you can go ahead and pull it out. If you did not, the words are going to be on the screen behind us. And we're going to pick up with a story that we shared a little bit about last week and Ben's been sharing some about over the last five weeks. And this is in the book of Joshua, if you want to turn there. And we're going to be looking at chapter 3 this week. And we're going to read a decent section of Scripture uh, all the way through the end of chapter 3, starting at verse 7 and into chapter 4. So um, let's just start and then we'll just kind of share the parts that really stuck out to you and I that... Yep. We think tying uh, with this whole build life's idea. So this is Joshua chapter 3, verse 7. Here's what it says. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of the Jordan's waters, go and stand in the river. Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you uh, in, drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Perizzites, Perizzites yeah. and uh, Girgashites, Amorites, and the Jebusites. And right, so these, these are just people groups living in the land. Right. They have strange-sounding names, but each time one of these names would have been spoken among the children of Israel, the Israelites that we're talking about, there, there would have been a gasp, like, you know, we know those folks. They're tough. They're entrenched. They have cities and fortifications. So Exactly. And there's a test on this next week, so make sure you're ready for that. <laughs> See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into Israel, or go into the, the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priest who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord 
of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan River. Its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. All right, let's, let's pause there for just a second. L- let me catch you up. If you weren't here last week, um, we've been talking about this story for a while. We're at that point right now where they're getting ready. The children of Israel, they've been in the desert for 40 years. They are standing on the eastern side of the Jordan River we've been talking about in this passage, and they're getting ready to go over. And the only thing that stands between them and the promised land are these people groups and this river. Uh, It's a wide river. In fact, we're going to find out in just a moment. It's at flood stage. So it's the widest it can be all year long. It's a big deal. It's a very physical barrier to get from where they are to where they believe God is calling them to be. And in this passage, what you find is, is that God is still trying to convince Joshua, listen, I'm with you. I'm with you. And that's going to make all the difference. I'm with you, Joshua. Don't forget it. I'm with you. Now, can you imagine Joshua for just a second? I don't know how familiar you are with the biblical story, but Joshua is leader number two on this journey. Leader number one was Moses. He's more famous. Moses was the guy that God did remarkable things through. Uh, The 10 10 plagues in Egypt, uh, water from the rock, manna from heaven, um, major major issues with, uh, you know, taking care of troubling people on the way. God has been with Moses. But with Joshua... Something different is going to take place. In fact, up to this point, Joshua knows a lot because he's traveled with Moses. He knows a lot about wandering in the wilderness. He knows a lot about going round and round the mountains. But Joshua doesn't know much about taking over the land. There hasn't been a lot of taking over the land happening up to this point. This is a new endeavor for him. And I would imagine like a lot of folks on the brink of a new endeavor, he's terrified. At least that would be the natural emotion. And God is coming alongside him saying, the key thing you have to remember, it's the theme we've had all weeks of our Build Lives message series, is is that God has said to Joshua, I'll be with you. And I won't let you know if it's not immediately obvious to you. God has said the same thing to us. He has said to us through the person of Jesus in the New Testament, you know, further on in your Bible, and in the work of the Holy Spirit, that he would be with us. Literally, he said it this way. He said, I'm going to be in you. So that wherever you go, I'm with you. You're not going to face a single thing in life that I'm not going to be there beside of you. And if you want, I will lead you. I'll guide you. I'll speak to you. I'll give you direction. I'll give you correction. I will bring resources. I'll put roadblocks in front of you to keep. You need to let me lead and be with you in life. And this is a lesson Joshua is going to learn majorly right here at the showdown at the Jordan River just before they move in. Now, did you catch what Greg said? They were to choose 12 men. Now, this is the second time we've seen this. 12 men representing one from each of the 12 groups of people making up the nation. There was this idea of shared responsibility. When they had to take the 12, tri- uh, the 12 spies into the land to spy it out, it was one from each. And now that they're about to cross over, it's one from each. There's this shared responsibility across the whole swath of the Israelite nation. They're going to do this together. It's going to be a a corporate win. By the way, this is the way it always works when God's up to something. It's always bigger than one or two people. For whatever God wants to do in your life, it's going to be bigger than just you. It's going to be a corporate win, if you will. Many people are going to be impacted. And even in these small ways, like choose one from each 12, we're seeing this principle of the, the breadth of how far God is going to work and how far his glory is going to be spread. Because here's the deal, guys. Life with God is really about him. 
we say it pretty regularly around here. It's not about us. It's about him. It's why we sing songs like the one we just sung, where we say, God, it really is about you for your fame, for your glory, for your honor. Those aren't just slogans for us. They aren't just there to make us feel good. They're there to remind us that God really is at the center and it really is about him and his agenda. And we have to then come along his agenda, come alongside that. So uh, Greg, would you mind to, to keep reading for us here? Yeah, um, so he, he's just told them if they will go ahead and step foot into the Jordan River, uh, it'll basically stop, much like the Red Sea did yeah. with, um, with, with Moses. So when the people broke camp across the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Uh, now the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. Yet as soon as the priest who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam, in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Araba, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So there's dry land. So the people crossed over opposite of Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all of Israel passed until the whole nation had completely crossed on dry ground. I, I, love, I love what God's doing here. God is changing uh, their paradigm. The children of Israel, they knew the stories of Moses that had happened just a few years earlier. They knew exactly how God causes water to stop flowing so they could cross. You might recall, if you've seen the movie or if you were here with us, they were at the Red Sea just a generation earlier. Uh, another body of water, similar situation, got to get across. And Moses takes his staff and he stretches it out across the water and the water parts and they go across on dry ground. The children of Israel knew how God gets them across the water. You take a staff and stretch it across the water and it goes. And yet God this time is going to do it differently. It had to be a little unnerving. It had to be, could you imagine being one of those priests who are told, grab the Ark of the Covenant. Now, you know what this is if you've seen Indiana Jones, right? Um, it's, it's that special Ark, and if you take the top off, your face melts away, right? <laughs> well, it, that's a little Hollywood, but, but you get the idea. It's a special piece of furniture that represents God's physical presence with them. And they're to carry that Ark. And this time, it's not about stretching the rod over and then waiting for the water to part. No, this time, there's much more much more action involved. It's much more of a commitment. It's much more emotionally committal and physically committal. The priests have to physically start walking into the water. They have to literally move forward before the thing has opened up. Now, this is the first time they've been asked to do it this way. God's changing things around. Now, for me, as I heard about this, here, here's, what, here's what I heard God kind of whisper to me, if you will. I wonder what it is in my life, like just me, Ben, right now. Forget Four Corners for a second that I think I have figured out how God wants to work. And I know exactly how he's going to do it because I've seen him do it this way before. And I'm just waiting for him to do it that way again. And yet this story makes it very clear to us that sometimes God's going to do dramatic things that often look like some other things that have happened, but he's going to do them in different ways. I wonder if I've ever, for me, just kind of cut off the flow of what God wants to do in my life because I have held him to do it the way he's always done it, or the way I thought he would always do it, and instead he wants to do something new. And then it made me think about us. It made me think about us, apart from our building program yet, just as a church. I wonder if we've been alive long enough as a church, seven years, so that our customs and our way of understanding and our way of working has already entrenched a bit. And we, we, we know how God works. You know, we, we've seen him do his thing. 
And we know what to expect from him. And I wonder if God doesn't sometimes want to shake things up a little bit and change it around so that we don't ever believe that if we do A, B, C, he's obligated to do, to do D. Instead, we do what he asks us to do and then he does what he wants to do. It's a different paradigm. I, I think, honestly, Four Corners, I think this is a message for us. See, churches have this, this challenge as they get older to gravitationally shift away from the passion points that used to drive them. If they're not careful, they become about maintaining an institution. They get very concerned about keeping people on the inside happy when God has always called the church to have wide open doors for people outside. We get very concerned to keep those few who are maybe the loudest or the squeakiest wheels comfortable when God's called us instead to be very passionate about his mission, regardless of who that seems to upset. Churches, if they're not careful, become institutional. We get regimented. We know what to expect. We've seen it before. We know what the church down the street did. We know how they did it. And yet often God comes into a group of people who are trying to follow him and he says, I want to do something fresh here. As I read this story, I thought that's exactly what God wants to do in our congregation. I think it might be what he wants to do in some of your lives. I think it, at least for me, if I can be honest, in front of my family here, I'm pretty sure that's what he's saying to me. I want to do something fresh here. And it might look, it likely will look different than it looked before. Or like you've seen it happen in your aunt's life or your Sunday school teacher's life or your youth leader's life or that old church you are a part of. And so the priest had to pick up the ark and step into the water. And then only after they were fully committed, only after they were wet, only after they're in, which pure embarrassment is on the line. I mean, what if they move forward? What if they move forward and nothing happens? Greg, can you remember when we first started and we, we would have conversations about, you know, what if, what if we like on our first service, we, we, you know, we've spent all the money, we've done all the thing and nobody shows. And at various points along the way, we've had that kind of, gut check of what if we do the thing and nothing happens? You, do you remember some of that emotion? Oh yeah, I have it every single Sunday. I always <laughs> think it's going to be the Sunday that no one shows up and they, they realize, you know, I don't know, I'm an idiot or something and <laughs> I'm just a normal guy or Ben's a normal guy and no, and no one shows. So yeah, it, it's always scary to follow God. One thing, one reason is it's so intangible sometimes. Yeah. You can feel like Maybe you know of course of action because you've done it before in your life or you've seen it done before. Maybe you heard a great sermon about it or maybe you just know through heritage it's something you should be doing. Or maybe you get this little whisper that you feel like is from God. But this whole idea that sometimes you've got to start doing the action before you see the results is a pretty scary place. It's not, it's not the easiest thing to do. It would be much easier to tie back to, to, to what you were saying if you were going to start a church, if you could get a few hundred people to commit to say they're going to show up every single week. Or if you're going to try a course of action in your life to know exactly that it's going to work out in your relationship or your finances. Finances right. being a good example of, you know, if God, if I'm going to trust you with my money and tithe or give in the offering, will you really take care of me? I think sometimes God wants exactly this from us, not only from the people in the Old Testament, but from us today. He wants us sometimes to begin to do the stuff before we're ever going to see what he's going to do with our commitment of action. Just this week, I was talking with a couple in our church, and it was different language, but I had the sermon in the back of my mind, so I'm hearing it through that lens. You know how you do that. And, and the guy was effectively saying, what if I 
give us another chance. And I start loving again like I used to, and she doesn't respond. I mean, what if I go through the trouble of giving my heart out there again, and all of a sudden, boom, she's not. I mean, they're in the exact same situation of, you got you to gotta start walking. You got to start, and it's called the walk of faith because there isn't in one sense a guarantee other than the promise of God, which really is the greatest guarantee. It's just not the kind of guarantees we like. Um, It's the greatest guarantee that God says, I'll be with you, I'll be faithful, I'll take care of you. And he was effectively saying, what if I I forgive again and she's not there to meet me again with a fresh start? And you can just feel the pain and the angst. And, And all I could say is, look, you know, there's this great story in the Bible where the priest had to, and he, you know, he thought I was like totally up on my Bible study. And, but bottom line is, is the deal is the truth. Sometimes you, you walk by faith, not simply by sight. And literally the way Greg worded it is exactly right. You start moving in obedience. You start moving under the direction of God and you give the results to him. It's called faith. It's what we're called to. The children of Israel weren't simply called to take Jericho on the other side of the river. They were called to walk in faith where they were. And sometimes because the gap for where we'd like to be is so far away, we want to A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and know it all. And once we got the entire plan, and then we're good. Now listen, I'm not in any way saying that there shouldn't be plans. The Bible is full of the principle and the wisdom that says we make our plans. But then it also says God directs our steps. It's a both and. And people of faith like us, it's the journey we walk. You're going to walk this in every relationship you care about. You will. You will let God lead or you won't. And if you do, it will go better. And if you don't, it won't. And you'll do this in your finances. You'll do this in your planning about what you're going to do with your life, with your legacy, what job you're going to take, who you're going to date. You will walk this exact same path. You will start moving forward in faith or you won't. And this is exactly where the children of Israel were. And this action will make all of the difference for them. Honestly, it's where we are as an organization. We've done all kinds of planning, literally well over a year and a half, about what we're going to do long-term. In the middle of our long-term planning about our facility, we got gently and politely and totally understandably ejected from our last facility. As the church we were borrowing the facility from said, we need our room. Like, okay, we, we, we love you. We really do, but we'd love to stay. And they're like, no, we really need our space. We're like, okay, we're gonna just, you know, hey, God's bigger than this. And so in the middle of getting ready for our long-term move, we have a short-term move right back here. We didn't understand it. It didn't make sense to us. It was a little frustrating, yet we fully understood and don't hold anybody, you know, responsible. We're not mad at anybody. And we're wondering, God, what are you up to? Like, really, I mean, do you, God, do you know how difficult it is? These are the prayers I pray. God, do you know how difficult it is? It's exactly what I prayed when Jill and I have gone through challenges. I remember when we were first married and we went about a year and we didn't really argue because I just kind of stuff it down. Um, that was the, the way I was kind of wired. I just thought my best expression of love was to just absorb it all as opposed to be honest and speak the truth in love like the scripture says. And so at our first major argument about our first anniversary, I remember thinking, I have screwed up big time. I am stuck. I can't get out of this. Uh, It's going to be bad. And just the fear of like, how am I going to get where I really want to be and where we are? Listen, I don't know where you are in life. I don't know what's going on specifically. But it could be that you're here today, not by accident, but because God wants you to hear a simple truth. 
you might have to start walking in faith. Like now. Before you actually see the thing happen. You may not get a, a contract written in blood that says, here's exactly what's going to happen if you do the thing. You might have to just go by faith and say, God, it seems from your word or it seems from wise counsel or it seems from the witness of your spirit in my own life. This is what you'd like me to do. And I'm going to start now. And I'm going to trust you with the results. This is what the children of Israel did. And it was dramatic. Greg, can you think of a time, I'm putting you on the spot, where as a church, we, we really had to face that. I mean, I've referenced a few. Do you have any, any others in mind where you really feel like, hey, we had a... Uh, we were up against it. Yeah, we are what? Is this our fifth facility to meet in? Yeah. Uh, this is a repeat, Rave 2.0, like I said last yeah. week. Is several points of time in time over the last seven years, we've been faced with very abrupt announcements that wherever we were meeting, we were going to have to vacate within a pretty short period of time. And so every one of those has felt like a, a risk to a certain extent. You know, it makes you question whether or not you've been on the right track, if you're currently on the right track, if the plan you felt like you'd been following was really from God, and yet you have to keep working hard and following the, the, the plan and stepping out in faith and, you know, crossing your fingers and praying and hoping that it all comes together. So at every one of those points in time when we've had to change facilities, I feel like it's been one of those. Also, just as I, I think this is the big one for us, this whole Build Lives campaign, you know, as you think about this story with the children of Israel— in the back of their mind, probably not what they were thinking about all the time, but maybe in their tent at night when they're trying to get some clarity, they got to be so just pumped and excited about the promised land, about how great it's going to be and what's going to be there and what it's going to be like to live there and to raise their families there. And yet when they go through their normal daily activity and the sun's out and the river's in front of them, the, the thought of the promise of God sometimes is so hard to pull up in your memory and all you can think about is the fear. And I think, I think for me and a lot of times for our congregation or as, as a body, it's trying to be able to remember the promise and trying to, to think about what God's going to do and what he wants to do, not only in your life, not only in this church's life, but in this world and letting that be the motivation as opposed to letting fear dictate your entire life and the way you approach your entire life. And so yeah. as I think about this Build Lives campaign, on the one hand, it's scary, and it's potentially, you know, to a certain extent, at least for, for us and some of the staff, embarrassing if it doesn't work out. It feels like it, we're going to be complete and total failures, and yet I think about the promise that God's been building in our lives, you and I, since we were little kids, and uh, in our lives, especially for the last seven years, as we've partnered with many of you guys for seven years now, some of you just for a few months, the staff that we've had around us, the promise that he's given us that he wants to do great things in this area, and there's still so many unchurched people who live in my neighborhood and your neighborhood who know a little about God because we're in the country where everyone knows a little about God, and yet their lives don't really reflect the fact that God's active with them and, and part of the important DNA of, of their life's experience. And for me, if I can remember what God wants to do to the world and to the community to my neighborhood and to my family and to me, if I can keep that in the forefront of my mind, not just at nighttime when I'm laying down and thinking, but as I'm going through the daily activity, activity of getting ready 
for the promised land, I think for me, that's the key to the whole thing. It puts the river in perspective. It yeah. puts the challenge in perspective. Sometimes we get so battered and bruised through the challenges of life, or we have been, um, if I can just be honest, we've been, ob- <laughs> this is a little pastoral honesty. We've been a little disobedient in some area of our life that is not fully embracing all that God wants, that when he calls us to be obedient over here, it's hard for us to translate. By the way, this is why God calls us to regular obedience. It's not a word that gets talked about a lot in some churches. It's easier to grow a congregation if you just make people feel good. The problem is, the truth is, is God calls us to obedience. And so if we haven't been fully obedient, say, in in area A of our life, when God calls us to obedience in B or to have faith in B, it's hard to believe he's going to be faithful there. A long series of obediences over time. I know obedience isn't a word, but you, you track with me. A long series of those over time teaches us that faithfulness and God's abundant blessings and his provision, they go hand in hand. Obedience and God's presence, obedience and God opening the door, obedience to move forward in the river parting, obedience to move forward in Jericho's walls fall. That, that over time, we learn that lesson of faith. And that's why God calls us in the small and in the great, in things like the little white lie, all the way to the deepest issues of our integrity. Things like in your relationship with your spouse, as you deal with your kids, in your personal finances, as it relates to just church. Small matters of obedience, uh, stacked on top of each other over time makes it easier when you come to these larger moments to believe that the God who was faithful then will be faithful now. This is what you see all through the Bible. Every time they come to a major hurdle, they're always remembering back. <laughs> Remember when we, 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 we faced Pharaoh's army? God was faithful then. Remember when we were hungry and, and the manna fell? Remember when we were thirsty and the water came? God wants those stories in your life. So I know that today, one of my tasks is to make you aware kind of where we're headed. We're going to do that in like two minutes here in a second. But most of all, I want us as a church, guys, I I want us to get very serious about the small obediences, no matter where you are right now. I mean, it could be that there's a relationship that has been laying fallow for a while, that God wants you to re-engage, and you don't have the stomach to do it. I, I don't know if that's you or not. But if it is, it could be that God's saying, start walking now in that direction. And when you get there, once your feet get wet, once you're in the middle of the thing, I'm going to open it up. And even if I didn't open up the way you think it should, I'm going to be with you. And that's the, that's the essential difference. I'm going to be with you there in the middle. Yeah, and a lot of times you, you've preached about this for seven years on and off. What I'd prefer God would do, I think what a lot of us prefer God would do is show us like the in-between steps, not like the next one or two and not the grand vision, but like how exactly is this going to work out? I can imagine if you're standing there at the banks of the river, you know the next step is for you just to step into the water. And you know the grand vision is the promised land and you've heard some stories about what that might be like and how grand it's going to be, but you got to be thinking, what, what is that in-between? So I step in the, in the water and now what? What's it going to look like when it parts? And when we get just across and we meet the enemy there, what's, what's that going to be like? How's that going to work out? And one of the things you constantly remind us as a, as a congregation is God a lot of times doesn't use kind of the, the, the big flashlight to show us the next 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 steps. Often it is just like Psalm 23 talks about. It is just a, a lamp into our feet that's, that just shows us maybe the next one or two steps. And I think for the children of Israel then, they only knew what the next one or two steps needed to be. And I think that's kind of where we are as a church right now. We have the plan. We know what 
the vision is. We have, a, we have a pretty decent feel for what the promised land might be like, and yet it's a little scary not knowing what the next 10 or 15 or 20 steps are. Yeah. I think that's where faith for us as individuals in our relationships and our finances and whatever struggles we're having in life and our faith as a congregation, I th- kind of feel like we're, like you said, exactly in the same place as the children of Israel. We know, we know the next one or two steps, but are we going to have the, the guts to do it? Boldness. To, yeah, the boldness to really do it. Yeah, we keep coming back to this idea. You preached about it week two of Bold Lives. It's all through your Bible. It's about the boldness. And it's a boldness not in ourselves. It's a boldness to trust God. But listen to me. Can, can you trust God for the thing in front of you? If you can do that, God will do dramatic things. Can we as a congregation trust God for the thing right in front of us? Now, we're going to. We're moving forward. We are. There's, there's no debate about that. I just want you to understand emotionally kind of what goes into this. And that the journey our church is on is no different than the journey many of you are on. And it would be a shame for us to win corporately and you to lose individually. That would not be God's will for you. We don't want to do this alone. So tonight, we're inviting all of you at six o'clock to come and stand in the middle of that dirty, dusty facility and sing some worship songs and get God um, invited formally into the place long before we get there, before we sign a contract, before anything. We're like right on the verge of all these things. And we've already had a miracle. Long before I've gone public, we've already had just at $500,000 committed to make this happen. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's a God moment right there. Absolutely. Now, we've got a ways to go, but we've got enough to get rolling. We've got enough to go ahead and get our feet wet. And we've, we've got some hurdles in front of us, but they're God-sized issues. We're not concerned. I mean, that, the handwriting, as it were, is already on the wall. God has already opened up so many doors. The raw price, and I'll share some of this briefly tonight, uh, square footage on this space is ridiculously low, but I'm not saying that too much because I don't want until we sign for anything to change. You know what I'm saying? Um, this, is, this is like God stuff. And the favor we have with our builders who are gonna build the space out and make it great like we showed some of the pictures last week. Um, it's just, it's, it's amazing. Miracle after miracle. And the truth of the matter is, honestly, one of the practical points is, is each of you asking honestly what part you would like to play. And so what we've done, because I don't ever like to surprise, and we don't use manipulation in this church, we don't use guilt, is we've given you a copy of the commitment card right there in your cup holder. You can look at that. You're going to get another copy of that tonight at the building, and there'll be one on your seat between now and the end of the year. And at some point, we want you to take that commitment card and fill it out. And it simply says, I can give this much money once or this much money over 30 months, or I need more time, or I can't give anything. All of those are valid answers as long as they're God's answer for you. And we'd like for you to step up and give something dramatic. For my family and I, we're putting off a lot of our Christmas stuff. We're putting off a lot of the things we enjoy doing for the next 30 months so that this can become a major issue for us. At the end of the story of Joshua that we're reading, the next like chapter, if you just kept reading, in the middle of the water, the priests each pick up a stone out of the middle of the water and they carry it to the other side of the river after everybody has passed. And they stack these massive stones on top of each other as a memorial so that in the generations to come, the kids who say, hey, mom, dad, what's that pile of rocks by the water for? Each parent can say, that's remembering what God did for us when he helped us cross through on dry ground. For me and my family, we're building a memorial. 
We're building it. I want my kids to know the cost and the taste of sacrifice this Christmas, next Christmas, and all through the following year so that they can know that our family values God more than we value Xbox. Now, you can do what you want to do, but that's what we're doing. We're doing that because for me, the spiritual heritage I build is more important to me than any vacation we're going to take. It's more important than the car I drive. Those aren't slogans to me. That's a big deal. So we are sacrificing at a level that I never thought I'd be able to do at this point in my life. And we are thrilled to do it. Nobody in this room can take our joy from that. We're happy. I'd like for some of you to sincerely pray and say to God, God, what would you have me do? Now, my fear in mentioning that to you is that some of you would believe that what I want is your wallet, and I don't. As a pastor, I'd like for your heart to be turned towards God. I don't want you to be, have such a death grip on your wallet that God can't penetrate and touch your heart. So if you can't give because for some reason you're wounded or you have, don't. We have faithful people here who will. And you can take that up with God at some point in the future. But for those of us that can, that commitment card, there won't be any change, no hungry kids standing in the corner saying, please, sir, fill out a card. <laughs> there won't be anything like that. You know, we don't have any commercials. It's simply going to be people of faith saying, I'm willing to move forward. I'm willing to put off A, B, and C so that I can instead turn the money over here and do D. And if we, enough of us, will do that, we'll be there. And over the next few weeks, even though we're going to move past our Build Life's message series, we'll share with you some of the details, all right? So really, what we wanted you to hear today is, is that some of us probably, probably just need to start moving forward. I mean, at some point in our life, and for many of us, I hope that you'll move forward making a financial commitment to our Build Lives campaign. If you've been with this church at all, if this is your church, we'd like for you to step up and make a sacrificial gift above and beyond your normal giving because our budget is set on what you already give. And if you need to decide between whether you give to your budget or you give to Build Lives, give to the budget. It pays for all the bills and the ministry that happens. This other thing is above and beyond, okay? So don't divert the money. That'll like, you know caused me to have more gray hair than I already have. And uh, we'd like for you to do that. And we don't want to like make it a big deal about guilt and manipulation. And here's the thermometer. And listen, we're not doing that here. This is faithful people saying, God, we're, we're going to step forward. And many of you already have, and we are just grateful. And some of you need to step up. And some of you, honestly, you probably need to pray again and ask if what you've given is enough. All right. So let's just uh, pull out our connect cards and take a few steps together as a congregation. On your Connect card, you'll see that there's an A and a B. These are core values for us. A is simply, would you like to begin a relationship with Jesus today? If you came to church and you didn't know what we were going to talk about, but maybe your first step of faith is giving your life to God, we want to help you do that. You simply say, God, I'm a sinner. I, uh, I repent of my sin. I accept you as my Savior and my Lord, and I want you to be the leader of my life. You check that box as an act of faith, and we're going to pray about it here in a moment. Some of you... Next step B, you might need to get baptized. It's the way of going public with your faith. And the next step C is one that we were really drilling down on today is I have an area in my life where I need God's intervention, but I think I need to go ahead and I need to step into the water. I don't need to know what that is, but if you'll check that box, the staff and I will join with you in prayer this week about that, that you will have the boldness to start walking and get your feet wet even before the water parts. And the next step D, uh, I'd like to know more details, maybe in a smaller setting about the Build Lives campaign. If you want to do that, check the box and you'll get invited into my house and we'll answer all your questions and do the formal presentation and show you the details and all the planning that's gone into it. We'd be glad to do that. Just check the box. And the next step, D, 
here, here, or E rather, here, I will do what I can to be ready to make a commitment on that commitment card to the Build Lives campaign on or before our Christmas Eve Eve celebration. We would like to have all the cards turned in with either a zero, need more time, or here's my amount by Eve Eve so that on that date, we will know exactly what the commodity is we have to move forward and what gap we need to make up, all right? So let's uh, pray together right now and then we're gonna sing a little bit more to our awesome God. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. God, your word stirred me this week. It made me reflect that uh, even though I've been following you for a long time, you're still doing fresh things in my life. And God, it got me excited about what you're doing in our congregation. You really are the God of new things, new beginnings and fresh starts. God, I don't want to ever let what I know about you limit what you can do in my life. So, Father, speak fresh into us. Lord, for those of us in the room that need to choose you as our Savior, help us to open our lives and receive you today by faith. God, for those of us that need to move forward and step into the water, give us boldness. And God, as a church, as we grab hold of this amazing opportunity to move forward in what you have for us, give us boldness, clarity, direction. Most of all, God, give us your spirit and go with us. We pray it in Jesus' name.